Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. One of my very best friends is joining me on the podcast today to talk about her two successful VBACs. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN physician, certified integrative health coach, and creator of the Birth Preparation Course, an online childbirth education class that will leave you feeling knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today, I have one of my best friends on, Kimberly Bullock Gatling. Kim and I grew up together. We have known each other almost literally our entire lives. Our mothers met when we were babies. So we grew up together in the same neighborhood, went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school, and have remained friends ever since. And I asked Kim to come on to talk about her experience with having not just one, but two successful VBACs, and VBAC is vaginal birth after cesarean. Now, Kim is a wife, a mom, of course, to three boys. They are seven, eight, and 15, and she's an intellectual property attorney at Fox Rothschild in Greensboro, North Carolina. In addition to practicing law, Kim is very civically engaged in her community. I'm so proud of all the work that she does. She serves on numerous nonprofit boards, including the United Way of Greater Greensboro and the Cone Health Foundation. Now, Kim does not have a lot of spare time, but when she does have some time to herself, she enjoys sleeping, of course, and also swimming. She's actually active in getting African-American families involved in swimming. I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but there's a history of African-American kids not learning how to swim at the same rates as other racial and ethnic groups. And there's a long history behind that. It dates back to segregation in the civil rights era when black families didn't have access to the public pools in order to learn how to swim. And that's kind of filtered down through the generations. But anyway, she and her family are very active swimmers and her son is a competitive swimmer. 
Well, as I said, I invited Kim on today to talk about vaginal birth after cesarean. And I'm not going to go into all of the risks and benefits of VBAC, but I do want to say that VBAC or vaginal birth after cesarean is safe for the vast majority of women who have had one or even two prior low transverse cesarean sections. And low transverse refers to the scar on the uterus, the incision that was made on the uterus. And for women that have had one or two prior C-sections, low transverse C-sections, it is safe for you to attempt a VBAC. And an attempt at a VBAC, we actually talk about that as a TOLAC, trial of labor after cesarean, a TOLAC. And if you're successful with your TOLAC, then that's a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean. Now, a lot of doctors do feel uncomfortable, I'll say, with two prior low transverse cesarean sections and TOLAC. However, ACOG does support it. And ACOG is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. They set standards of care based on evidence. And ACOG does say it's safe if you've had two prior C-sections to attempt TOLAC. But I'll, I'll be honest, there are some doctors who are not as comfortable with that. So I am a strong supporter of all women who are appropriate candidates to attempt a VBAC or have a TOLAC. They should be able to. And part of my support in that is having women come on and share their birth stories of successful VBAC. So that's why I asked Kim to come on today. Now, before we get into Kim's story, I do want to mention really quickly that there is a bonus lesson on a VBAC in the birth preparation course. The birth preparation course is my signature online childbirth education class, something, of course, you know, I'm super proud of it. It's eight hours of content, covers everything from getting in the right mindset for your birth to labor and delivery to possible things that may happen to the postpartum period. It's an outstanding childbirth education class course online, along with some support through a Facebook group where I'm there. I have a doula who runs the group. And one of the bonus lessons in the birth preparation course is VBAC. And I talk about the risk, the benefits in detail, some factors that are associated with successful VBAC, as well as some factors that decrease your chances of success. And I also go over some specific clinical scenarios that sometimes make doctors uncomfortable with VBAC. And I talk about what the re recommendations are for management based on evidence. So I encourage you to enroll in the birth preparation course in general because it's amazing childbirth education. However, if you happen to be someone who's thinking about VBAC, then I got you covered in the course as well. Okay. Without further ado, let's get into my conversation with my bestie, Kim, about her two successful feedbacks. So, hey, Kim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I am so excited to have one of my day one best friends on the show. I am happy to be here. Yeah, so I ask you to come on to share your experience with having not one, but two successful VBACs. And I thought we would start off just by having you tell us about you and maybe your work and your family. Sure. So... I am 44 years old, and like you've mentioned, I've known you pretty much for all of those 44 yes, years. Yes, we have literally all known each other our pretty much our entire lives since we were babies. Exactly. Growing up in Hampton, Virginia, and being besties since infancy. Yep. Now I am a practicing intellectual property attorney in Greensboro, North Carolina. I've been married for almost 20 years, and I have three sons, ages 15, 8, and 7. And my last two are 18 months apart, as some people call twins the hard way, which I definitely <laughs> believe. Of course, I have to add that the youngest son is my surprise baby that has me wrapped around his finger. And even though we won't be talking about infertility today, you know, Dr. Rankins, that he's my surprise baby because my first two kids were conceived with infertility treatments, and I had been told I could not get pregnant on my own. And then voila, the baby boy was conceived with no drugs or treatment, even while I was still exclusively breastfeeding my second child. So he broke all the odds, and he was my sweet surprise. Okay, see, I almost feel like I'm going to have to have, have you come back on the show 
to tell your infertility story. (laughs) That's quite a journey. (laughs) Uh, And I will also give a shout out to my bestie. She's also very active in the community. I'm just really proud of her and super, you know, happy to be one of her best friends and watching all the wonderful things that she does to to help folks in the Greensboro community and beyond. Thank you. Yeah. So you had a C-section for your first baby because L.A. was breech. And y'all forgive me if I throw in the kids' names. I'm just so used to like, you know, we're so used to talking to each other. But her first baby was breech. So walk us through when you were pregnant with the second. What was your thought process about having a repeat C-section versus a V-bag? Tell us all about that. Sure. So with the first one, he had been breached, actually Frank breached with his bottom down and his feet in his face the entire pregnancy, Mm. and he never moved. So I knew we were going to have a scheduled C-section with him. And when I got pregnant with the second one, I asked my doctor if she would be supportive of me trying a VBAC if the baby's head was down. And she was always very supportive of it, never discouraged it in the least bit. So that was just our plan from day one, that if the baby was positioned correctly, that we would try to do a VBAC. Okay, so you really felt like that was what you wanted to do from the get-go. It wasn't really like much of a, do I want to do this? Do I not want to do this? You were pretty clear that you wanted to go for a VBAC. I was, and my C-section was very seamless. I had a very easy recovery, apart from the fact that it's major surgery. But I knew that having a VBAC, the recovery time would be less and that it would be easier. And of course, by the time I had my second child, I still needed to be parenting the first one. So I thought if the VBAC will make it easier for me to bounce back and get into the swing of things, then I definitely want to try that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're thinking about the whole like big picture and not just like for this pregnancy, but taking care of another kid and all that stuff kind of went into your thought process. Right. Yeah. So what do you recall your doctor telling you about? I know it's been a little bit, but what do you recall her telling you about risk and benefits or um, what was her what was she telling you about VBAC versus a repeat cesarean? You know, it it was nine years ago now, which is hard to believe with the second when I was pregnant with the second child. And so I only remember that she was fully supportive. I'm sure she reminded me of all the risks of a VBAC, you know, what I call the medical legalese. And I'm sure that she did that. But I think based on my medical history and what she was seeing, there wasn't anything that gave her any pause with me trying to have a VBAC. So I only remember that she was 100% down for it, um, didn't question me at all about the choice. I will say I remember that I asked her about it. I don't recall that it was specifically volunteered to me for me to consider Mm. that when I got pregnant with the second one, I said, I'd like to try and be back if you're okay with it. And then she said, absolutely. Got it. Got it. Well, that's good to know that she was really supportive because unfortunately, some women find themselves in circumstances where their doctor is not entirely supportive of them having a VBAC. So that's great that you had the support there from your doctor. Now, um, speaking of support, what about, was there any decision or discussion between you and uh, Danny, between you and your husband about VBAC versus cesarean? I don't recall that. Um, He probably did not even know enough (laughs) (laughs) to understand the difference. I mean, he had been there through the C-section. He Uh knew what that was like, but he certainly didn't give me any pushback. I didn't get pushback at all from anyone on the medical staff or family-wise. So I was in a great position that everybody was on board with me trying it. That's really awesome. Really, really awesome. And you were in Greensboro at the time. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So what research did you do to prepare for your VBAC? You know, I am a doctor's worst patient because I stay on Google. (laughs) So I probably just did a lot of Google searching on VBACs. And it's funny because since the first one was a planned cesarean, when I took the birthing class, I totally zoned out on everything relative to labor and delivery because Mm. I knew that wouldn't apply to me. I only really listened on the C-section portion. So I really was a little out the loop in preparing for the VBAC because I did not go back and take a refresher course. So any information that I got probably came off of the internet. Right, 
Right. <laughs> Did you ever take any like questions and things back to your doctor or were you just kind of deep in Google and looking up stuff yourself? I was probably deep in Google, but I have to say I'm also I was crazy about researching anything relative to the health of the baby or the pregnancy. But when it came to delivery, either way, C-section or VBAC, I just kind of had the thought the baby will get here some kind of way. It never really concerned me to the point that I was scared or had a ton of questions about it. And plus, you have to remember, Nicole, I had you. So uh-huh. anything I, did, I, doctor, I was just texting you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is true. That is true. So but it sounds like you took more of a kind of like even though you were doing your research, you had kind of a laid back approach. Like if it happens, great. If I have to have a if I end up with another C-section, then I'll be OK with that, too. I absolutely felt that way. And again, my experience with my C-section had been very good. So I had no trepidation about having to go back into a C-section if that was medically required. Um, So yeah, I I was just kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens, and it'll be fine so long as the baby's okay. Right, right. That does probably help a lot that your first c I remember your recovery from your first C-section being pretty easy. So that probably helped a lot to make you feel at ease that if it came to that, then it would be okay. Right. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual, their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. Yeah, so go ahead and tell us now about what your birth experience was like for that first VBAC. Sure. So the first VBAC was with my middle son. He's the only child that has a summer birthday. He was born in early August, and I was 35 weeks pregnant and went to work that morning feeling perfectly normal, ready to start my work day, probably got to work about 8 a.m., And an hour later, my assistant walked into my office to say good morning, like she did every day. And we would sit and chat in the morning. Right. And she walked in my office and said good morning. And I was facing my computer. And I turned around to say hi to her and to start talking. And I said, (gasps) and she looked at me and said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, my gosh, I think my water just broke. And literally, as I turned my chair to speak to her, I felt a gush of water. So, of course, I immediately started panicking. For one, Mm -hmm. I had never experienced my water breaking because I had the planned C-section with the first one. And more importantly, I was only 35 weeks pregnant. Right. So it was not supposed to be happening that early. But my assistant, who's over 25 years older than I am, a grandmother, mother to three adult sons, completely went into mother mode, came and calmed me down got Danny on the line, told him what was going on. He came and picked me up from work. And then we went straight to the doctor's office because it was on a weekday morning. Uh Right. And so when I got to the doctor's office, my OB said, okay, you know, let's just confirm that his head is still down. And then you're going to the hospital to have this baby. Right. Because as you know, the risk of infection goes up with uh, the water having broken. And so she decided we were far enough along that we would go ahead and deliver the baby. So they did an ultrasound in the office, confirmed that his head was in fact down. So my doctor said, yep, we're doing a VBAC, let's go. And so I went to the hospital 
And, and let me, before I, you talk about going to the hospital, how is that for you? Because I know you are a super planner. So how is that for you that things kind of came out of nowhere? Oh, it was crazy because again, I was at work, like I was planning to have my normal work day. And so it was funny when I went to the doctor and they did the ultrasound and said, okay, head down, we're ready to go. My doctor said, go to the hospital. And my doctor's office is literally across the street from the hospital. And I said, oh no, Dr. Cousins, I have to go home. Like, I have to get my bag. <laughs> and at the time I didn't work from a laptop at work. So my laptop was at home and I said, I have to go get my laptop. I am not going to the hospital without my laptop. Right. So she said, you have one hour to go home and get your things and to report back to that hospital. <laughs> so of course I went home and I was taking my time <laughs> because I wasn't in labor. I wasn't right. feeling any contractions. Right, so right. I'm getting everything together for my oldest son, knowing I'm getting ready to go into the hospital for a few days. And apparently I took too long because the hospital called me on my <laughs> cell phone and said, Dr. Cousin said you were supposed to be here like an hour ago. Where right, are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I finally made it in. And um, again, I wasn't in labor, so they had to induce me. So they hooked me up to the Pitocin mm -hmm. IV. And that took several hours to mm. kick in. Okay. So for most of the time, I was just up on my computer working like nothing was going on. Right. And then the labor finally started to intensify and I started getting some hard contractions. And I will say I had never been opposed to getting an epidural or any other type of medication. But I had decided that I was going to wait as long as I could to see if I could do it without right. medication. But that labor was no joke. So by the time they got really bad, I said, okay, I want an epidural. And literally over an hour went by and I was in really, really hard labor. But some emergency had happened at the hospital and there was no one available to give me the epidural. And yeah, this is something that I have, you know, I try to tell what some women don't realize. An epidural is considered elective and not... You know, if there are other emergencies in the hospital, you may have to wait. Oh, yes. And I waited over an hour. Um, that was probably the hard. Well, it was. It was the hardest hour of the entire delivery between mm. when I asked for the epidural and when I finally got it. I right. think I probably zoned out during that hour <laughs> <laughs> trying to manage it. Um, but then they finally came in, the anesthesiologist, and she administered the epidural and once she got it in, you know, they laid me back down and very quickly I could feel one side of my body going numb. And I mentioned to the nurse, I said, I'm only numb on one side. I still feel everything on the other side. And so she said, okay, that's normal. Let's turn you on your side. Right. And so they turned me on my side. And literally as soon as I got on my side, I said, I feel like I need to push. Mm. And the nurse was like, mm, I don't know about that. You know, let me check you. So she right. rolled me back over. Right. Do you remember how dilated you were before you got the epidural? I do not. Okay. Okay. I do not remember that. It wasn't a whole lot though. In fact, they thought that because I was tensing up so much during the contractions, because I wasn't really relaxing, they felt like I was, I guess, stunting the dilation or I'm not using the right term. I but know what you mean. Right. Yeah. They kept saying, you need to relax. You need to relax. So when she turned me back over, because I said, I need to push, she was like, oh my gosh, you're right. The baby's about to come out. <laughs> <laughs> and so she immediately called in my OB as well as the neonatologist, which I later understood was normal practice. I guess if the baby's a certain number of weeks premature uh -huh. that they have the neonatologist in the delivery room and two pushes less than five minutes and he was out. Oh, nice. Nice. So you did not have a, a, a long time to push at all. No, I think the epidural was in less than 10 minutes. And my husband kind of cracked a joke. He was like, do we still have to pay for this? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, did the ep that doesn't even really give it time to kick in. Um, do you feel like you felt things or were you just kind of in the zone? I was in the zone. I mean, it was definitely better than that hour when I didn't have any medication. But yeah, it was literally like 10 minutes after the anesthesiologist had left and it was ready to go. Okay. Yeah, that probably didn't have much time to kick in at, at all. And then it sounds like it was one-sided on top of that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So how do you feel like the hospital staff was supportive of you um, during a VBAC? I'm not sure if the hospital staff even knew that it was a VBAC. I mean, maybe they did if they had looked at my file, but yeah, I don't recall have. that we talked about it at all. The nurse that I had from the afternoon into the evening who had been there during that really tough hour that I had was super nice. And then the shift changed. And so right before I had the baby, I got a new nurse. I didn't like her as much. Okay. Um, she was kind of mean. Actually. Oh, oh, just not, she just wasn't friendly. She was not friendly. And in fact, the prior nurse who had been there with me the whole afternoon and evening wanted to stay with me a little bit longer. And the new nurse was like, no, I got this. <laughs> oh, dang. Oh, that always upsets me when you, people have like, don't have a good nurse. Cause it makes a huge difference. Your nurse is with you for so much of your labor. So yeah. it makes a really big difference to have a good nurse. But thankfully I had the nice nurse throughout pretty much all Most of, of it, the time except for the yeah. last 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from start to finish when you're water like what time was it when your water broke and then when did you deliver so my water broke about 9 a.m i probably got to the hospital a little before lunchtime and i think he was born oh it's been a long time maybe seven o'clock that evening okay yeah because like i said for hours it was just nothing i was on the pitocin but uh -huh. i wasn't feeling anything it was really only that one hour without the epidural that it was really bad okay okay and then things kind of kicked up and then voila baby was here yeah and then did he stay with you or did he have to go to the NICU or how did that work so when he came out the neonatologist of course was right there before the neonatologist even weighed him he looked at him and he said oh he's just fine and in fact, the neonatologist said, he's about six pounds. And then they put him on the scale and he was five pounds, 15 ounces. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so no, he never went to the NICU. He, you know, did the normal thing in the nursery and stayed with me and he was just fine. He went home in two days with me and did great. Awesome. Yeah. Very often for folks listening, it's the case that babies that come a little bit early, they just got done early and um, very often a 35 weeker will go home. That's different than if you were induced at 35 weeks for some reason, then kind of like your water breaking or going into labor at 35 weeks. So I know you were glad to have that experience where you didn't have to worry about having a baby in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Very thankful. For sure. Okay. So then <laughs> Fast forward just a few months later, and I'm trying not to laugh, but I distinctly remember <laughs> when you told me you were pregnant <laughs> the third time, <laughs> and you were like, oh my gosh, <laughs> oh. oh goodness, so tell us about baby number three, the surprise baby, um, and VBAC number two, what was that pregnancy like for you? So total shock, as you know, <laughs> I literally found out I was pregnant and then decided I was going to stop breastfeeding number two because he was only nine months old. And I said, mentally, I cannot fathom still breastfeeding a child knowing I'm pregnant. So right. I cut him off. <laughs> Did you just cut him off right away or? I literally cut him off cold turkey. Oh, okay. Did that hurt? Because it can be hard to just sort of quit breastfeeding cold turkey. No, because he was nine months old. That's true. So he was eating some solids then. Yeah. 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 He was eating food. Okay. And it was just a mental thing for me because as you know, it took me weeks to like accept Process. the fact that, yeah. oh my gosh, I am pregnant again. Yes. And how <laughs> old were you at the time? I was. Let's see. How old was I? I was 35 when I had the second one. So I guess I was 36 or 37 when I got pregnant with the third. Mm -hmm. So we're not even going to add the whole like, and we can even, I don't know, did your doctor talk to you about advanced, you're very healthy and everything, but advanced maternal age or any of that stuff, did any of that kind of come into play in your mind? Well, since I had been 35 with the second one, they had already done some of that genetic testing mm -hmm. uh, that they do when you're 35 right. with the second one. But it's funny, even in that short nine months, the protocol still had changed a little bit. And they did even more testing when I was pregnant with the third one. But I was healthy and, and didn't have any concerns. The only thing differently the doctor did with the third was that because they could never explain or we never knew why my water broke at 35 weeks with the second one, 
she had me to take progesterone shots during my third pregnancy. I guess that was maybe during my third trimester. I gave myself a shot every week just to make sure that the baby would stay in. And he did stay in until 39 weeks. Okay. Yeah. That's something called um, McKenna. It's a, or there's a generic for it now, progesterone shot um, for, for the listeners. And it does help prevent when somebody has a preterm delivery the first time, it helps prevent it the second time. And it's a weekly injection. Um, well, while we're there, how was that? How was it hard to do those injections? And how did that make you feel? Well, because I had gone through all that infertility treatment with the first and second child, I was used to shots, so that didn't scare me. But the progesterone shot, unlike the infertility shots, was intramuscular. So I had to have my husband give it to me because he would give it like somewhere in the buttocks area, like in that muscle. Uh huh. So he got trained by the doctor on how to do it, and we just had a day every week. We'd pull out the shot, and he'd do it. So it didn't bother me. I was used to having shots. Okay, okay. And um, and I can't why am I blanking if, did you do IVF with the first one? Not with the first one. With the first one, I did Clomid, several rounds of Clomid to get pregnant with him. And then if you remember, Nicole, I had two miscarriages uh-huh. yeah. in between the first and the second. And both of those pregnancies came from Clomid. And then the Clomid stopped working. And so we did IUI with the second one, intrauterine insemination, mm-hmm. and that didn't work. And then we finally did IVF and that worked with the second child. Okay. So y'all, I mean, you can see like Kim is just offering a wealth of experiences about the journeys that we go through with pregnancy and birth. So these things are just not uncommon. You are not alone if you're experiencing infertility or if you're experiencing miscarriage. Uh, It's way more common than we than we realize or that we talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that pregnancy was good with baby number three. You feel like you kind of sailed through that and you had the same doctor for all three. I did. Okay. All right. And so describe what your labor was like for the third one. So the third one was interesting because the last doctor appointment I had before he was born, I was approaching 39 weeks and it was funny. My husband first pregnancy came to every single doctor appointment. Second pregnancy came to some Third pregnancy probably came to like the first appointment and for whatever reason came to this last appointment that I did not know would be my last with the third. Right. And I was dilated four centimeters. And the last thing the doctor said was, hey, listen, once this thing gets going, I need you to go straight to the hospital because I don't think it's going to take very long for this baby to come out. So that had Danny on complete pins and needles because he was so worried about having a baby at home or in the car. (laughs) (laughs) So it was Super Bowl Sunday and we had some friends over to watch the game. And throughout the entire game, I was having what I thought were Braxton Hicks contractions. And so I would pull my shirt up and we were laughing because my stomach would ball up and the baby would be all lopsided on one side, just not even thinking that it might be real labor. So the game ended, we cleaned up, went to bed about midnight, and I said to Danny, I feel like if I just pushed hard enough, this baby would fall right on out. And we just laughed about it and went to sleep. Three hours later at 3 a.m., my water broke in my sleep, and it woke me up. Mm. And so I woke (laughs) Danny up and I said, I think my water broke, but I'm really not completely sure. Right. So again, because he's so nervous, all he's thinking about is Dr. Cousins said, this is going to go quickly. Right. He is like up in fully dressed, car running, ready to go. <laughs> and I'm still in the room and I'm on my iPad Googling, what's the difference between urine and amniotic fluid? <laughs> because I was trying to make sure I hadn't just peed in the bed. Right. You know, I was nine months pregnant. Right. That might not be unusual. I had been up late. Right. You know, we had friends over. Right. And he was like, Kim, if you don't get in this car and let's go. <laughs> and then who was watching the kids? Like, did you have to arrange childcare or was your mom there or what? Thankfully, I had called my mom in. And it's funny, she wasn't supposed to come until that day, Sunday, the day of the Super Bowl. But when we had gone to the doctor the prior week and the doctor said, this is going to go quickly. I said, you know what, mom, why don't you go ahead and come on Friday? Don't wait until Sunday. 
So she had already been at the house. Okay. And of course, we woke her up and told her that we were leaving to go to the hospital. Right. So let's see, my water broke at three. I, of course, I had to go log onto the computer and email work and tell them I wasn't going to be in today. <laughs> and I was getting the major side eye still from Danny because car is running right. in the driveway, right. ready to go. And so we got to the hospital about four. And when they uh, took me into triage, the triage nurse said, you know, how far along are you? 39 weeks. When was the last time you went to the doctor? Oh, just last week, a few days ago. Were you dilated any? I said, yes. She said I was dilated for. And she was like, okay, well, you're not going to triage. We're sending you straight to a room. <laughs> and they did. They got me in the room. I got settled. They called my OB um, and had to wake her up, obviously, in the middle of the night. Right. And so this time, unlike the last time, I said, I want an epidural. And my contractions were not even bad, but I was not waiting like right. I did the last time. Right. So the anesthesiologist came in and administered the epidural. And then my doctor said that she was going to lie down and to take a nap okay. and that uh, she would get called when it was time for me to deliver. So then it was literally a repeat of the first VBAC where I got back down after having the epidural. I told the nurse I was feeling the medication on one side, but not feeling it on the other. Right. And then the nurse told me to get on my side, which I did. And as soon as I got on my side, I said, I feel like I need to push. Right. And the nurse was like, well, that's kind of early. Are you sure? Yeah. I said, yes, I feel like I need to push. <laughs> so they rolled me back over and the nurse was like, it's time. <laughs> <laughs> so my doctor had not even made it all the way down the hallway where she was oh, going to take her nap. Oh my gosh. They called her back in and one push and the baby was born. Oh my goodness. This is like the amazing, like the way women's bodies work. You just cannot predict how labor is going to go. So just before the epidural, you weren't even like hurting that much or was it like just starting to kick up? I don't recall any painful contractions at all with the third one. I mean, I probably felt them, but. Remember, I had apparently been in labor all through the Super Bowl right. and didn't think I was in labor. Right, so, right. you know, I may have been feeling the contractions, but they weren't what I would call painful. And because I was preemptive this time and said, I'm getting this epidural before these contractions get bad. Right. Uh, it just never got bad at all. Right. And then you got the epidural, which, again, probably didn't have much time to <laughs> kick in. And then one push and baby's here. Right. Wow. Two wasted epidural. <laughs> <laughs> so very smooth pregnancy, delivery. Did you tear after either one? You know, I did tear after one of them, although I can't remember which one it was. I want to say it was the first VBAC okay. that I tore. But, um, and I think I had some stitches, but I literally had no pain or soreness after either VBAC. So... I can't even tell you for sure which one it was because I never felt anything. Gotcha. So then how did your recovery compare from your vaginal birth versus your cesarean? So with my cesarean, I do recall being sore and I recall taking a little ibuprofen after I got home, but you know, it was fine. It's still major surgery, but I was sore for a couple of weeks with the V-backs. It's literally like nothing. Mm. I mean, both times, after it was over and they let me get up, I was just walking around like nothing even happened. Right. So definitely easier than you. I mean, your cesarean was easier, but your vaginal births recoveries were even easier. Yes. And with the last one, because he was born at like five in the morning on a Monday, I decided I was not staying in the hospital for two nights. So we left on Tuesday, the day after he was born. And got home and settled with the new baby. And I got in my car and drove to daycare to pick up the second one. And when I got to daycare, they were like, uh, didn't you have a baby yesterday? Cause I was by myself <laughs> right. picking up the middle child right. from daycare. And I was like, yeah, I did right. yesterday morning. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the things women do sometimes you just kind of get going and cause you know, you got stuff to do. That's uh, right. Yep. 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 Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. 
Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So I want to wrap things up by asking you to share your advice to the listeners. Are there any resources that you found useful in particular? And if you didn't find any, that's fine. But were there any resources resources that you found useful as you prepared for pregnancy or for your VBACs in particular? Well, again, that handy internet probably was useful in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm also one that probably did not uh, get fearful of the random 1% chance of bad things that could happen. So um, I got a lot of good information that way. Obviously, talking to my doctor, having friends like you, Nicole, that I could bounce things off of. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I was thinking, I don't know. I don't think I have any personal friends that had VBAC. So I didn't really have a close friend to go talk to about it because all of my friends that had C-sections elected to do C-sections the second time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I was kind of the first person in my circle right. to go and do a VBAC. Huh. Interesting. So then what would you tell women who are thinking about a VBAC, a VBAC versus a repeat cesarean? I would definitely say, for one, don't stress either way. Like, I'm a high believer in... The baby will get here, do what's most comfortable for you. It's not a competition mm -hmm. regarding which way yep. you have a baby. Yep. Nobody even cares how the baby got here once the baby's <laughs> here. <laughs> but having said that, if there's no medical reason suggesting otherwise, the VBAC is so much easier and the recovery time is so much less. I think any woman that has a successful VBAC appreciates doing that versus having another C-section. Okay. And had you, did you connect with any other, I mean, have you since connected with other women who made the decision to have VBAC and they said something similar? You know what? I don't think I have. Huh. Maybe people will connect with me as a part of this podcast. Yeah. And I can pass on some wisdom. Now, remember too, I was so um, advanced in age when I had my younger two. <laughs> right. That most of my friends were already done with kids. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> like all my friends mostly have kids that are around the age of my oldest. Right, and then right. I brought up the backside with my younger two. Yeah, yeah. Y'all, it's a group of us, y'all. It's five of us. Wait, am I counting right? One, That's two. Five. Yep, yeah. five of us. And we have kids ranging in age from 20 something all the way down to what? Two? So, Two. <laughs> so the five, the five of us have quite a range of experiences of, of birth. So anyway, the last thing I would ask is what is that you, I don't even know how you can boil this down to one piece of advice because you were a busy working woman. You had to go through infer, you know, infertility treatment to have a baby. You had miscarriage, you had cesarean section, you had VBAC. So if you could pick one piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice as you would tell other women as they get ready for birth, what would you tell them? What would you want them to know? The biggest thing is to not stress out. So many things 
we worry about during pregnancy and with regards to the delivery. At the end of the day, if you have a healthy baby, none of that ever matters. I think women put so much pressure on themselves and have these really you know, strict birthing plans. In my opinion, you just need to be flexible and go with the flow and just want to get to the end result of having a healthy baby. And no matter what happens in the steps leading up to that, at the end of the day, nobody cares and it won't matter at all. That is excellent advice for sure to be flexible and go with the flow of birth because birth is unpredictable and none of us can really plan exactly how things will go. So being flexible is key for sure. And one other thing I would add for professional women, you know, having the C-section the first time and knowing I would have to have the C-section was nice because we knew exactly the date I could prepare all of my work projects, you know, I knew what my last day of work would be. And that definitely aligns with us type A professional women. And then like with the second one, totally out the blue at 35 weeks. And here I am having a baby. But again, all the things that I thought would have mattered in in terms of trying to plan and make sure I had managed everything accordingly with work, it didn't matter. And it all worked out just fine. Mm. So I think we also have to let go of that wanting to have some level of exactness with planning for our delivery and just let it happen. However, the way God intends for it to happen and all the other stuff that we care about will work itself out that we think we care about Uh so much will work itself out. That is an absolute perfect place to end. So Kim, where can women connect with you if they want to connect with you on social media or anything like that? Are you on social media? I am. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. My handle is easy. It's Kim Gatling for Facebook and for Twitter. And for Instagram, it's Kim Bullgat, K-I-M-B-U-L-L-G-A-T. And you can Google me and find me and get all my work info and email me as well. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Again, super excited to have one of my day one best friends on the show. I really appreciate the time because I know you're super busy. No problem. Thank you. I'm so proud of you too. Oh, thanks. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Love you to pieces. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, no, that was just so much fun talking to my friend. I'm really grateful that she came onto the podcast today. Now, after each episode where I have a guest on, I give something called Nicole's Notes, which are just my top three or four takeaways from the episode. And let me tell you what my notes are for today's episode. Number one, I just love how her doctor was so fully supportive of her having a BBAC. Not just her doctor, but also the hospital was supportive of her having a VBAC. And it was never really much of a question, although she went over the risk and everything. Just from day one, it was clear that she was on board. Her doctor even went so far as using Pitocin. Some doctors aren't comfortable using Pitocin in the setting of VBAC. I am, and many doctors are, but some aren't because it does slightly increase the risk of something called uterine rupture which is the catastrophic outcome that we worry about with with VBAC. But her doctor was really supportive of everything. And there are supportive doctors out there. That's why I'm saying this. I want you to know that there are supportive doctors who exist, who will be there for you if you want a VBAC. You may have to look for them, but the supportive doctors are there. Number two, and this is perhaps the most important thing I can say to a woman. It is actually the most important thing for a woman who is considering TOLAC or wants to be back. You need to bring it up early. Kim says she brought it up really early in her prenatal care. Her doctor hadn't even brought it up yet. And maybe her doctor was you know, going to get to it later on. But Kim brought it up that I want to have a VBAC. I suggest that if you're thinking about it, you do the same thing. The first appointment is not too soon to bring it up. And the reason I say that is because there are some doctors who do not support TOLAC or VBAC, and there are hospitals that don't support VBAC. So you really need to know upfront and early if your doctor and hospital are on board or not, because if they're not, then you want to be able to have plenty of time to find options to support you. And I will say, I've seen it one or two times where a doctor 
doesn't even mention until towards the end of pregnancy that they don't support VBAC. And then it's like, well, we're scheduling your repeat C-section. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't want a repeat C-section. And you're finding out that your doctor doesn't support it or the hospital doesn't support it. You do not want to be in that situation. So if you're thinking about VBAC, then ask early. And then the last thing, and this is a recurring thing that I say and that I'll say over and over again on the podcast and that Kim mentioned as well, you need to be flexible with the process of birth. You need to be comfortable with going with the flow and understanding that you can't control everything and that those things that you spend so much time worrying about, they typically end up being fine in the end, well in the end. Birth is an unpredictable process and you need to be flexible with that. That's how you're most likely to be fulfilled and happy with the outcomes. When you can relax into it, be flexible, go with the flow, control what you can. That doesn't mean that you don't plan at all and you just kind of throw caution to the wind. Absolutely not. You control what you can, but you know that you're flexible and can go with the flow again of that process of of birth. So that's it for this episode. I would love to know what you've heard about VBAC. If you know anybody who's had a successful VBAC or, or who had trouble with finding someone who was willing to support VBAC, I'd love to hear about it in the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast community on Facebook. This is a closed group on Facebook. If you're not already a member, the link to join is in the show notes, or you can search All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast community on Facebook. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, I'd really appreciate you leaving an honest review in iTunes. It helps other women find the show. And I also give shout outs from time to time on the podcast from those reviews. Now, next week on the podcast, I am taking a dip into the woo woo. I have Nicole Kieran on. She is an energy coach who helps moms. Now, trust me, it's actually not as out there as it sounds. And she gives some really great advice. So come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the Birth Preparation Course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the birth preparation course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more.